here we are for the second episode of Music and Weights. Uh, and I just, Caroline just made me realize that in explaining to our guest today, Solomon Howard, what exactly the show is all about and how it came to be about, that I should be recording. Um, so just some quick uh, context. I'm going to recap what, uh, what Solomon and I were saying is uh, that this show basically came to be about because a couple of years ago when I first started uh, like getting into both lifting weights seriously and taking my budding career as an opera singer seriously, I started to notice that there were some parallels in between what it took to be really great in each of those areas. And I set out on a quest to find people who are farther along on those paths than I am and talk to them about exactly what their experience has been and see if they have also noticed any parallels like I have. So that said, today we have Solomon Howard. What's up, Solomon? What's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I met Solomon uh, when I was, I had heard a lot about Solomon because we were starting to have some overlap in circles and <clears throat> At Glimmerglass at the end of the summer, my first year in 2017, uh, I had been in the weight room pretty much every single day just trying to fill time and enjoying the new facilities of the Clark Center. So I was used to like the familiar faces. And then I saw this one person and I was like, this dude is huge and he has never been here before. Who is this guy? And then I realized like, oh, that could only be Solomon Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Solomon, dude, you're, uh, you are two things that I have a lot of respect for it. You are both an awesome, well-accomplished opera singer and artist, and like just kind of really, you're a high-level musician because you're not just an opera singer, right? You are, you're like a pretty established drummer. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, first of all. <laughs> yeah. um, a percussionist, I play for uh, two symphonies, um, different jazz artists, Wait, hip-hop artists. Wait, two symphonies? So it's not yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Solomon is like, has a band and is like drumming. No, no, man. Like, this is, this is what I love to do. And That's wild. so, you know, I try and do it uh, to the best of my ability and actually try to perform for with uh, some of the best organizations uh, out there. So I'm very fortunate uh, to have grown up with, uh, or yeah, to have come up with um, <clears throat> parents that supported me and in a way pushed me, um, but then the people around me that also, uh, you know, mentors, godparents, aunts and uncles, whatever, that that really uh, set fire under you know, what I said I wanted to do, believed in me, expected the best out of me. So this, so it sounds like you're, you've been like pretty deep into music for your whole life. Yeah, man, like I come from a very musical uh, family on both sides. Um, my mom and her sisters were a gospel group. My father and his brothers were a gospel group. That's how they met. Um, were they like rival gospel groups? No, not, no. At, at, so, well, being a, a male gospel group and a female gospel group, you know, they didn't have to, they weren't really competing. Um, they would sing on some of the same concerts. And it was my grand, my mom's mom who uh, introduced my mom to my dad, you know. Um, but yeah, they would sing on some of the same concerts and, you know, so I, when I came along, I think I did my first performance when I was three. And I was going out singing. Uh, my mom would stand me on tables at churches, the offering, ta offering table at my grandfather's church. So Were my you music loud? was always in. Uh, I was a boy soprano, man, yeah. until I was 10 or 11. Yeah. And then my voice started changing when I was 11. Yeah. And I became 
<laughs> were you always just kind of like, but did your voice, because so on the, we're recording right now in the Washington National Opera Studios and right below us there's like a, basically a preschool of like Montessori kids and uh, on our way up here Solomon and I were talking about the kids and like one time I remember I was down there and I saw one of these kids just out there like screaming for their parents' attention and I was like, that's a lot of ping in that voice. Right, right. Was like, were you like one of those kids, like were you always like, wow, that voice like really projects. Like yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It just like from yeah. the get go. That's what this, they said. So it wasn't operatic instrument. Always a need for microphones. Yeah. At, and you know, in the gospel uh, setting or gospel type <coughs> church setting, you know, microphones are, you know, they're almost like that's what you go to first. Yeah. Uh, until you until you learn <clears throat> because they're, you know, all the instrumentation, the electronic instruments, uh, but until you learn that you, know, you can actually rely on the acoustics in this in this space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I didn't always need it, and it, there were certain situations where the sound system wasn't working or wasn't good, and so, so I, like, I would just sing with my natural voice. Yeah. And so I had early training. Yeah. That's something that Carolina and I talk a lot about is is like what does actual like what does good support feel like or like you know what is. <laughs> what is it supposed to feel like when you are making the sounds that will cut through an orchestra like into a house mm -hmm. but also is in a how are you how do you know that you're doing that in a way that allows you to sustain that for a career and even in right. the really short term like you know how are you going to how do you know that you're going to make it through this aria right. through this phrase or even through this opera yeah and i see that so <coughs> for that would be the correlation for uh with uh singing and lifting yeah you know if i'm pushing, I'm straining, or I have to push, I have to strain, then I know I'm not doing something right, I'm not strong enough to do it. Yeah. So I work my way up to it. You know, um, If these are notes in my voice uh, uh, within the range that a bass should have, and I can't necessarily sing them yet, then I work my way and instead of, like, I have, I have a mentor, Morris Robinson, who played uh, college football. He's an, an amazing opera singer as well. Uh, he's a bass. I've uh, seen a couple of his videos. And yeah, I was yeah. just like, familiar. I was yeah, like, yeah. I remember like I looked at Kellen and I was like, it's just there's this video of him singing Blanco's aria, uh -huh. and it's that like it looks like it's like a sound check for some something, and yeah. I just was like, I remember yeah. looking at Caroline just laughing, being like, it's so crazy how like dramatically and like uh, aurally satisfying yeah, yeah. listening to him sing is. It's just like top to bottom, this just like relentless. Yeah, man. So he's he's been like a big brother to me for man, almost fifteen over fifteen years. Man. Um, and, How'd you uh, guys meet? Well, we were doing a Beethoven nine um, here in D.C. Actually, at uh, at Catholic University, um, and my undergrad course, Morgan State University. Uh, choir we were the, we were the chorus for the piece and um i remember the car pulling up it was a, a lincoln continental uh that they had for him he, the car was pulling up <laughs> and the car was riding really low i'm like i've never seen a lincoln like sit that low and he the door opens and he steps out <laughs> like, something just, out of lord of the yeah, rings yeah yeah <laughs> and um this dude I got out, then the car, I kind of went back up, you know, kind of <laughs> raced. But anyways, uh, it, we joke about that all the time. Um, he'll often 
say my costumes are six five uh, high and his is six five wide. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big dude. He was an off, uh, offensive lineman. Um, but yeah, uh, so we were doing that, and uh, I was at that time anchoring the bass section in the in the choir. At, school and uh it's not he, section leader it's yeah. just the anchor i mean you know the that's what, that's what they a, would say you know? has a weight yeah yeah everything you know it's about uh, uh music and weights you know <laughs> <laughs> so i was anchoring the bass section and um i remember him turning around from uh, like the orchestra was in front of us and then he was way out and he you know turned around and was like wow you know like gave me that look and so i went up to him afterwards i was like you know mr robinson i, I want to do what you're doing he was like, man, with that voice, you should be. <laughs> so he gave me his number, email. He, he said, if you ever have any questions about this, like, call me. And I remember going to, uh, after uh, I finished Morgan, uh, Morgan State, I went to Manhattan School of Music uh, for my master's. And we actually had the same voice teacher. Which was? Mark Oswald. Where the closed vowels open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicest man ever. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so there were some things that I, you know, I was just having a hard time uh, accepting. You know, I would get frustrated because I was used to, you know, being able to do something right away. Yeah. Um, so I would, I, you know, I called Morris. I was like, you know, I'm just frustrated here in the, in the, in the, in the studio, in the voice studio. It's like treated like the weight room. It's like, how would you approach, you know, trying to bench four or five? Like, if you hadn't benched for a while or you've never done it, like, you wouldn't just go in and pick <laughs> up four or five and be upset that you can't lift it. <laughs> like, you would work your way up to it constantly, you know, repetition, you know, repetitive, or repeatedly going in <clears throat> and working your way towards your goals. And uh, when he said that, you know, because he also played football, I played football, he played football, he also plays drums. There's so much <laughs> that we have yeah. in common. Um, when he said that, I really, okay, I, I, I really understood and I, you know, like, I took that in. Yeah. It's like, wow, you know, it's kind of like a light uh, switch, you know, and uh, so that was the early um, stages of realizing how similar yeah. it was, you know, for the voice and the weight room. You know, everything we had, we have to set goals and be realistic about them and work our way to them. And then there's some things that you you probably will never be able to do, and you have to be able to accept that. Yeah, you and I are not ever going to sing Cabaret Dawson. Right. <laughs> right. any no, of not. those, like, really dramatic, screaming uh, right. counterparts. Right. That's okay. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think about that a, a lot. And I, it's, it's, like, it's really, it's refreshing to hear that there are, like, some other opera singers who, like, think like exactly in those terms and it's, right. it's like you know I think about for me like the most obvious I guess like not whole but like thing that I like keep on trying to work out in my voice is high notes you know like F sharp or G and for a long time I would, would like only wail on those notes instead of say like building up the middle which you know like right, right. right before then and that's like kind of when I talk to people who like really have their tops figured out they say like it's, it's the middle. Like, if you right. treat your middle correctly, your bottom and your top are both going to shine. But if right. you spend all this time on the top, you're not going to get anything done. And right. it's a lot like, say, trying to not never bench 405, but squat in 405. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I don't think that it would work by 
just like jumping in and just trying to hit 405 on the bar, you like you really want to build up and make sure that your 225 looks beautiful. Right. 315 is beautiful, and that like you can get, you know, like all the little holes in your technique fixed, so that when you're repping 355, then you're like, okay, you know what? I think I could go for 405 now. It's like a lot of two steps forward, one step back, all throughout places, and at least for me, weightlifting technique. Absolutely. So for you, what was the what was the biggest thing that you remember being like? I gotta call Morris. Like, what was the? Is there something about being in grad school that you remember just being like, I can't get this. This ain't coming. So before I went to grad school, I didn't have the operatic produced or quality sound above middle C. Yeah. Wait. So paint that picture for us. So you're like, you're graduating from Morgan, and you've been playing the drums, but also in like classical ensembles. Mm -hmm. And you've been basically yelling a little bit in choir, and people <clears throat> like the noise, and you like making it. Right. And you've been playing football. Right. When did football stop? Football stopped. Uh, actually, football stopped before college. Uh huh. Yeah, because I got uh, a scholarship to go to school for music. It's like, okay, okay, uh, well, that's what I'm gonna do. Did you also have scholarships for football though? No, I never. I played for a league after high school. So I, I didn't really pursue. I I tried once I got to Morgan. Um, talked to Coach Hill at the time, and the choir director, Dr. Nathan Carter, um, was like, Nah, thank you. I mean, that's just, that was his voice. Nah, no, thank you. I need you, brother. Um, so I was like, Nah, I'm not trying to lose yeah. money and. Being a walk-on, how guaranteed is it that I would get money? Right. Uh, so I turned that over to my younger brother, Benjamin, who yeah. is now pursuing a professional career in football. So, you know, I can, live, cool. I can live through him. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, wait, you know what? Uh, this is this is something that, like, in the grand scheme of my life, like, I really want to get in front of schools and talk to about. For guys just like you and me, say, in high school, right. what you just said, you implied that, like, you were basically going to school because of choir. Right. Right, so they right. took the day they were paying for your school. Absolutely, man, that is something that like I would love to get in front of a bunch of young people and just be like, you don't have to go for sports, and right. especially if you're a guy, right? You just have to. You don't even have to be able to use above middle C. Right. You can just if you as long as you can like make a noise in this octave, right, right. and repeat it right. like five out of ten times, right. they'll give you a big fat scholarship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and that's uh, so wild. yeah, and if if they believe you, you have some drive and work ethic and some quality sound like if they believe in you they'll help you get to what you need and that's what Mark Oswald did for me yeah so there were the moments where you know that C sharp going into D it was just like I can't use that it was a sound that I kind of fab this fabricated sound that I created from growing up singing yeah. gospel music and creating a mix even when I was in undergrad being in the choir we did a lot of um, classical rep we performed with just about every major symphony concert orchestra worldwide. So, but it was like when it got to anything C above <clears throat> anything above middle C, I'm like, uh, okay, the baritone they can take care yeah. of. That. So I was, I was smart. <laughs> so I was smart back then, you know. So that's really like where you would make the uh, you could make like a forte face or make a piano face, but right, just not right. be singing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what for you like that sounds like for me about E flat E. Right. Like, is that like right about where now you'd be like, okay, like I'm gonna be 
this depends on your technique. I'm gonna be turned. I'm gonna cover. I'm cover, gonna whatever. Yeah. You're like that's where uh, something happens. Right. Something in having to do with your misogyny. Right. You just were like, I don't know what to do about this now. And, and I I didn't know at the time. Um, so once I got to Manhattan School, Mark Oswald addressed that, <laughs> and we were working on that column of sound, as they say, where it should be the same from top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and uh, there were the moments where it just wasn't working. And knowing that Morris Robinson was a base, yeah. you know, uh, I could refer to someone who I felt went through the same problems that I did. And uh, instead of quitting and, you know, throwing things, temper tantrums, not that I really actually ever <laughs> did that, but, you know, it's like, this might be the time to start having tantrums, you know. Um, I would call him and, you know, what should I do here? Uh, well, one, trust Mark Oswald. But two, that's when he was talking about the approach to it and would make the analogies, uh, comparisons to, you know, the weight on the football, yeah. running routes and all that. So what for you was the, was the key to making that, that just like little half step between C-sharp and D to like unlocking that and making that like, a navigable passage for you? Well, one, it was actually working on it. You know, um, proper technique. You know, same thing we do in the gym where we, we're trying to you know, avoid injury. Um, it's the technique. You know, I know I like it, with, with benching, sometimes like it's how you turn your arms in, you know, uh, yeah. like the strength, the, the form in the wrist, having that locked. And, right. You know, so it was it was the technique that had to change, that had to be tweaked. Uh, even for me with percussion, when I started taking lessons, like said, play a play a, a marchato or your basic tumbajo, and I and I try, I go in to play, and the first thing he does on the first stroke, he's like, nope, moves in my hand, and it changes the sound. And it's so it's like so it's like a one little small thing in it, your hand. Yeah, these are yeah, these are small things yeah. that when you don't have someone who's a technical master or um, someone who's proficient in that language, like, they don't know to say that to you. Isn't it crazy? It's just like one little small thing in your hand changes how you drum. Right. When I, one of the, the, the quickest things for me to point out in the gym is just be like, you need to grip your hands more. Right. You know, because a lot of people take like a really passive right. grip on the bar. Right. And that, that, as I think about that with singing, that's like, oh, you just need to feel what it feels like to get your palate up just a little bit. Right. And then that right. automatically happens. But even like even breathing, which is something yeah. that I tell people all the time. Like I use the same same breathing techniques singing that I do in the gym or that I, I use them lifting that I do singing, you know, so that <coughs> there's this marriage of of technique that I'm not going to change it because I'm doing, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, it, it would be the equivalent of, of going outside and expecting to to do something totally different, but get the same results or get safe, safe yeah. results, you know? So I, I try and do the same, <clears throat> use the same techniques that I would use in the gym uh, when, I'm, when I'm singing as far as breathing is concerned to make sure that one, like even while I'm lifting, I'm still practicing those same, those healthy yeah. habits uh, uh, where I don't necessarily, you wouldn't think that you needed them. So then they become habits, yeah. you know? So it's just, it's yeah. all reps. So when, so when I'm on the stage, like this is, this is, these are habitual habits or habitual 
techniques that I'm using because I've been practicing them when I didn't necessarily need to practice them. Right. But we essentially, we do need to practice them. <clears throat> so, um, you know, it's the pacing and and uh, maintaining, you know, healthy, healthy posture, healthy breathing um, that I use in the gym that keeps the voice in line. Uh, and I noticed that a lot of the people who talk against it for singers, especially our type of singers, um, most of them have never done it, or they won't do it. Yeah. You know, or they were doing it with with wrong, with bad technique. Yeah. You know, I think about that. That's something that it's. I always look for the the words to explain to people. Is that like. I don't think that any shortcoming that I have technically uh, has anything to do with like me lifting weights frequently. I think no, that because it, there are people that don't lift that yeah. have those same shortcomings. Or, exactly. I think know, that it just it has to do with how do I apply the how do I apply the vocal advice that I'm given, which you know, like I might be misinterpreting it, or I might be taking you know, like one idea too far. But I think that you know, for me. Uh, having like my body trained in that way, like outside of the gym allows me to adapt and like take on new vocal ideas so that my learning curve with them, because I have this extra coordination, mm -hmm. my learning curve for taking on new vocal ideas is, is really shortened. And I, I think know. for a lot of us, we are that much more aware of the capabilities of our bodies. Yeah. Because we, you know, we are, essentially giving time to it or checking in on our bodies daily, you know, with our workout. What's a, yeah, what's a way that you, what is like a, a workout or a movement or some, some lift or anything that like for you continues to remind you that, that the limit can always be pushed? You know, like what, what is a way that you truly push yourself? Wow. Um, it's, uh, like for me, it's it's always legs. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> more, more, there are a lot of people that, that don't do legs, <laughs> and it's that mental fortitude that like, you know. You're already you know, ahead of the curve by doing them in the first place. You don't place. want to be that that rooster body. Yeah. Like, swole up top and like you know. <coughs> Seneca Clee, are you right. listening to this? <laughs> oh wow! All right, all right. Calling out some people, <laughs> but uh, that's something that you know I have to make sure I stay on top of because I mean, even the position that I play receiver, you know, guys they want to get too bulky below to right. slow them down, you yeah. know. Um, and it was all about being lean, but I, you know, I want to build a sturdy right. foundation, which for me, you know, helps me on the stage. Want to be know? more like. Terrell Owens than Randy Moss. Right. Although, um, man, Randy Moss. Randy Moss was, <laughs> hey, man, that was one of the, one of the greatest receivers <laughs> out so, there, man. That was like, okay, so, man, I haven't really paid attention to, to sports since I retired. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yes. You're, can you remind us when you retired? Uh oh. Uh oh, that's the wife. The wife is calling you out. Now. Oh, maybe. Was it 14, sophomore? 14 or 15? Yeah, I retired. I retired from uh, football then. Early retirement. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> let me think. Okay, wait. So, who who were just like the badasses that you looked up to on the field, like growing up? Me? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because if you were playing, and yeah, also like being from, from the East Coast, like you guys had, like, there's a lot, of, yeah, well, a lot of heavy hitters out here. Fortunately, had 
pleasure of meeting uh, receivers for the skin, uh, Washington Redskins, uh, Art Monk. Um, and then uh, and we had uh, one of the DBs, uh, Daryl Green, um, who played. So a lot of these guys uh, were good friends with my uncle, uh, Warren Flood, uh, who's no longer with us. Rest in peace, Uncle Warren. Um, uh, but you know they would they would come around or we'd be at events and some of them were there. But then of course T.O. I mean that dude worked. <laughs> like, my brother actually got a chance to work out with Terrell Owens, uh, Chad Johnson, or Ocho Cinco. Some of that. Uh, and you know we some people think of them for the antics off of the field. Yeah. You know that kind of distracted or say that, you know, people say they distracted from what they did on the field. But, I mean, when it came to, like, concentration on their craft, I mean, they were two of the best at it. Um, I was watching, uh, was it, the 30 for 30 on Chad Johnson, and they were saying that, you know, he could be in a phone booth with three defensive backs or – and – he still would believe that he was open. Like, throw it to me, I'm, I'm open. But Randy Moss, these are like, those are three, or at least T.O. and Randy Moss at the time, man, yeah. were two receivers that, you know, it's just like, man, like, if I could play professionally, I wanted to play like them, yeah. you know. And then Randy Moss being as tall as he was, you know, I'm 6'5", yeah. being able to, to run. Like, I refused to be slow, so it was, you know, stretching and, Getting down into, you know, the abductors and adductors, and yeah. like, you know, making How sure. How fast was, did you get? I got to a four three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so fast. Four three forty. Man. I think my hamstrings are are like crying right now, thinking <laughs> about running any faster than like a four nine or five. I'm like Tom Brady. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just lumbering out it's there. Right. He <laughs> runs hard. That's so crazy. So something that you just said makes me think about like this mentality that like a successful receiver has to have hmm. almost just like delusional in terms of their their ability right i find myself going through you know the the periods they vary in intensity and, and duration but a lot of times i go from being like damn i am my absolute favorite singer i'm right. so good to like feel i think i i think i suck and i'm probably never going to be as good as i yeah. as i always thought that i would be what how do you, as a as a singer, like handle moments of self doubt? My grandfather, my um, my my father's father, he always told me his name was uh, Norman Howard, <clears throat> and he always said, you know, if the next man could do it, I could do it. So that was was one of the biggest things that helped uh, motivate me through that. You know, if if I saw someone else doing it, then like, wait a minute, why can't I, why shouldn't I be able to do it? You know, there's, and not that I always look for approval. I, I don't look for approval in other people, but I, if I see that something is possible, then it, that gives me even more incentive to, to work to surpass, you know, whatever doubts I may have. And then obviously if, if I see the things that are impossible, I'm like, well, I, I want to try that because yeah. no one else was able to do it. I, I want to give it a shot, yeah. you know. Um, but certainly, if someone else is able to do something, according to my grandfather, if the next man could do it, you could do it. And yeah. um, these, there are certain things that are expected 
you know, in the operatic art form or within our uh, within our voices, you know, within our box. Like, I should have I should have an F sharp. I should have. So if if I need if I need to always have an F sharp, then I need a G. I need a G sharp. You know, right. to be there. Right. Every, you know, every so often, to ensure that you know the F or the F sharp is there all of the time. F sharp's going to feel that much yeah. easier. Yeah. So I I work above what I need, so that I always have you know what I what I actually do need. Right. Yeah. So what's uh, I guess like when you look at your like career and being able to like build a career as you want, what is like a big not like challenge, but what is something that like you really want to get done what are a couple things that you're like this is on my bucket list for my career you know i i haven't really put too much time in, into you know too much not time but thought into that like i'm right now honestly focusing on building you know what is gonna get me ahead day to day you know uh you because Realistically, we wake up and some days our voice is different from what it was the mm -hmm. day before. So, uh, I mean, of course, there are roles that I want to sing. You know, there are, there are certain characters that I would love to portray. And I know that one of the biggest things, being a bass, being a bass baritone, being a baritone, our voices develop later, you know, tendency to, to develop later. And um, that's why a lot of the characters that are written for our voice types are what they are, the father, the king, right. um, sometimes the villain, um, the godlike figures. Uh, they were typically sung by older gentlemen. Yeah. You know, even if it was 40 being old at the time or 45 being old at the time. So it's patience, you know, and uh, knowing that it's going to take time to get there. So that's why, you know, physically pacing myself, like, I have to also mentally face myself. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are certain roles that I know that I want to sing, but vocally, it's just going to take a little time. So that, that's not to say that, okay, we could just what's, sit back and What's the biggest and one? Rest. What, do um, you, what, do you, what do you have to be at, like, level 100, Solomon? I, I want to <laughs> get to a, a, a King Philip, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, I want... Uh, That'd be great. I want to... <laughs> Boris, you know, I want, you know. I think, tell me what you think about this. I think that King Philip's aria is, I think it's the most beautiful aria for low voice. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. I think it's so amazing. Yeah. Dramatically, I think it's perfect, and melodically, everything. I think it's amazing. Absolutely. And I, um, I just had the pleasure of working with Perucho uh, Fulanetto on. Don Carlo at LA Opera. Yeah, you were doing. Um, I was singing guy, uh, guy in the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. Before, uh, uh, Emperor Charles. Yeah. Cool. The ghost of uh, yeah. King Charles. What is uh, so what is, monk. What's working with Ferruccio like? Man. First of all, like, <laughs> dude, why do you have that much sound coming out? And you know, <laughs> this late into your career, and it's healthy. Yeah, I mean that's like a match. That's a master class. Just watching, you know. Yeah, he's not setting out to teach. He's actually working. He's performing, uh, you know, in that case or uh, in that situation. But if you are 
smart enough to pay attention, like he's teaching you without trying to teach you. you know? So who are the singers that you look up to? Man, definitely him. Uh, always my my big brother mentor, Morris Robinson. I um, wait. Was that was that Morris and Prucho out there doing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Grand Act Three, Act Three for Solomon yeah. is like. I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, All right, wait, who's louder, Bruce or Morris? <laughs> hey, man, I'm not allowed to answer that, man. But Perucho, man, so encouraging. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of, one of those singers that's secure with himself uh, and his ability, uh, which allows him to freely be generous with uh, um, with his encouragement toward other singers that are the same voice type, you know. So he's not threatened. He's not threatened at all. I mean, he, he knows who he is. <laughs> but he also will let you know that uh, like, keep going. You like like one day you'll be the great, you know, or you know, about whatever you want to achieve. If if greatness is what you want to achieve, then. Like, yeah, like you, like he's he's encouraging. Um, but to, I mean, to be there to see how involved in the character he was, getting into place before the curtain went up. You yeah. know, he's sitting there already in character, so that when the curtain comes up, he's or when you see the curtain start to go up before yeah. the audience could actually see you. That world he's is not, already He's there. not, you know. Okay, now it's time. No, yeah. as soon as he sat down in his seat, you know, I'm there. And then when the curtain goes up, he's been there for, you know, seconds, a minute already. So you think so much so much of the greatness that you, like, were able to, like, to glean from him, or so much of what you were able to learn about, like, what we consider to be his yeah. greatness yeah. has to do with or ties into his connection to character and, like, his commitment to creating that character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Commitment all the way. So... Yeah. Would you say that like what is what we find to be most interesting and like beautiful about his voice or expressive or elegant or whatever about his voice is because he's so in character? Always. Yeah. And even in rehearsals, you know, some people take off in rehearsals. Yeah. <laughs> like some people take off in practices, you know, mm -hmm. like you know, on on the field, on the court, whatever sport you play. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's always and that's where I would say it was like that. That Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know. Thanks for that. almost reading my mind right there because, okay, so some people take off practices, right? right? And it's like, let's go back to that that really famous quote by Allen Iverson. Practice. Oh, yeah. We're talking about practice. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, AI, like we are talking about practice. Right. Like you're kind of phoning it in at practice. But there's never been like the two of the most studied people in sports, Michael and Kobe. And they're studied both for their results and for their work ethic that brought them their results. Right. We'd never heard one like you would. It would shock the, it would shock Michael Jordan fans to be like, that he was phoning it in at practice. Right. Like you would never hear that. Right. So, kind of talk about why you think it is that some people think it's okay to phone it in at rehearsal, or like. Well, I mean, <laughs> Bo Jackson uh, is one of the, one of the greatest. I mean, if, had it not been for the injury that he suffered in a game, said he was running so hard, so strong, so fast, that when, uh, 
when the defender came to tackle him, grabbed him by his leg, he pulled his own leg out of the socket. Bo Jackson. Like, because of how hard he was running, he essentially <laughs> pulled his own leg out of the socket. But then, you know, pulling out of the socket also ripped the nerve. It pinched the nerve. So <clears throat> that's why it was as bad as what it, as what it was. <laughs> but I remember him saying, you know, like, it depends on the person, you know. Uh, but for him, he's like, you know, I need some of this energy for the actual game. You know? wow. So it, de- it depends on what they believe. Um, and how much they exert in, in the practice situations. Um, but then there are the others that feel like, you know, if I don't practice it this way, I can't play it that way, you know. So and I'm, I'm not, to, yeah. not to say or judge, the, judge of the characters that, you know, that believe whatever they believe. It, it works for me, yeah. you know, too. And it obviously worked for or it's still working for the great Ferruccio Polinetti. Yeah. So. Some part of you has to be dialed in 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if it's the, the part of you that you should never mark, is right. the commitment to your character. Yeah, or even marking, um, because, you know, sometimes it's, it's okay. like we go into the gym and we have light days where we just do, the, you know, high d- reps. D- you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so even marking, I know, Kim Weiss here uh, at Washington Opera, who is the uh, principal coach for the Young Artist Program, uh, the Domingo Capes Young Artist Program here. He says, um, even when marking, like the diction should still be great, uh, the intent should still be clear. Uh, marking doesn't mean that you know you aren't here as an artist. Mm-hmm. Like still act. Uh, it's just a a way of kind of like pacing yourself in the rehearsals, but still giving, you know, so if I'm not going to sing full out, then I need to act even more. Right. You know, if I'm not going to sing full out, then I need to, like, my diction needs to be even clearer because, you know, like I'm not relying on the power of the voice that's, that's carrying right. to get to convey the message. So the same thing with, with weights for us. If we're not going to lift this heavy, then we should be able to do more reps. Yeah. Or, and the form know, should be and, perfect. And the form, yeah. There's no excuse yeah, for bad exactly. form. You know? And uh, how, like, when I put myself in that kind of space, I think about, like, it makes me think, oh, okay, now I'm going to be in a spot to, like, to, like, really learn something new. Right. Uh, how important has it been for you to just, like, always be kind of like a sponge, just be like, I'm ready to, like, learn something new about my character, about my voice, mm-hmm. about my technique, whether it be, you know, like, if you're, if you're going lighter in the gym, you know, are you? Do you feel like you're the kind of person who's always ready to be like, oh, I think I learned that if I keep my elbows in a little bit tighter, right. it lets me feel this better. <clears throat> well, I sometimes I, I do that. Well, I do, I do that periodically to go back and just check the technique, you know, to yeah. make sure that it's, you know, I'm not like becoming wild because you know, weights are heavy, or because the weights are heavy, it's forcing me into a certain position, so I go lighter. To make sure that okay, my elbows are still here or in close or on you know curls or. Um, <clears throat> Do you think there's a parallel for that in singing? Like, is there a checkpoint for you in singing that if I'm doing it lighter, if I'm doing it softer, if I'm doing it blank? The, that the great checkpoint for for me or, or or way to to measure that is to sing sitting sitting down. Mm. You know? um, because when we're we're standing, we're when we're up on our feet. 
we feel like we have the, the full body support right. from the ground up. Sometimes the staging, yeah, but sometimes the staging will have me lying down, ah. and I still need to be able to know where that support is. So even lying down, like you can feel it mm. when, or like your back, you know, your breathing. You know, right. you can feel like uh, if I'm breathing uh, the correct way, like is my back like expanding to actually to the floor, right. or if I'm sitting down, do I have the same same sound? I see some of the vets that are able to sit in rehearsals and some of the uh, sit probes or um, um, and they are actually able to still get quality sound out because they are technically sound. They don't need to stand up and, and you know, right. plant and make plant, this like plant, huge make this, deal. Yeah, they don't need to do that all Here the time. Here it comes. You know? right. um, and that's because technique is solid. You know? uh, or sometimes I'll sing in front of a wall to see how much is actually coming back because I want to make sure that I'm singing forward all the time. And I don't want to get to a point where the sound is traveling. It's not going, it's back, you know, and it's over covered. So, you know, I want to sing forward. So, you know, these are different things that are. So it's always uh, a good thing when you can like hear it in the room. Speaking of. So I had a question, a little bit backtracking to what you were saying about Mark Oswald. I had a question about if you consider yourself, I, I, I find that a Speaking to a lot of singers, they they work either in breakthroughs or in consistent Ooh. practice room hard work. So, person, well, personally, I feel like it's a little bit of both. You know, you have a big breakthrough in a lesson, and then you have to deliver in the practice room to your next lesson, where you kind of either solidify that or you make a new discovery. How would you describe yourself? Are you big breakthrough, and then it's settled from once you feel it the first time, it's settled from there on out, or is it? Uh, no, not all the time. I mean, there are those breakthrough moments, but some of them will happen. It's like, wait a minute, what just yeah, happened? Exactly. You know? So then I have to go back and try and figure out what I just did, because a lot of times I would not necessarily, like if I find for myself, if I overthink, then I, I stress my body, I stress my voice, um, and uh, I'm just not focused. Mm. So sometimes I, I can't think about it, you know, and those are the times where I would do that, especially in this in the studio, uh, when I knew that when I, I was recording, but then I had my voice teacher in front of me to say, all right, that was right. So what did you do? And then like, all right, well, let's try it again because, you know, I actually, I had to disconnect uh, to a certain extent, to uh, to free myself, you know. Sometimes we are so on ourselves, so tough, so so focused that we get in the way. Yeah. So in a way, I had to kind of get rid of the self doubt by not focusing mm-hmm. on, you know, all right, let me prepare myself for this. Let me, right, let me right, get my right. body this way. Let me no, let me relax. Just you know? be like, wait a minute, Solomon. Yeah. You know how to sing. Just right. Make the noise. You know, just do it, and yeah. then it's like. Then that's when things would happen. So then I would like, okay, so what was my body? And that's how you how you find some athletes that become superstitious, you know. Like, wait a minute, what did I have on that day in this yeah. game? I brushed like, my yeah, yeah, yeah. left yeah, foot what did times. I need, you know. Um, and then I strapped my shoes. Right, right. And then I said uh, so it, there were the breakthrough moments. Um, and I would go back and just, you know, listen to the recordings. Like what what were we saying? What, what was the teacher saying to me uh, right before I did sing this? And 
actually works in quality, you know, right. or something that actually was great or good in the lesson, like, okay, all right, so now let's see if I can find the same approach. Do you um, find that you're listening-based, like you're a listening-based learner, so you, you really focus on what's coming back to you, or is it more a physical thing for you, or it's, obviously it's, it's, it's going to be a bunch of yeah, things. Yeah, well, for me, it's, a, it's a, a lot of both, you know, I, I have great teachers, and I, and I like to listen to what they say, but then it's also about how it feels. And right. even the, the greater the teacher, they will help you realize that the only person that can really teach you how to sing is you because your body. Yeah, it's we were like, just talking about that with our teacher. It's yeah. like, it's your body. Yeah. Like, they can say they, the most magical thing in the world, but right. if you're not yeah. doing it and you're not in the practice room right. in and front it, of and the if mirror. It really, and, yeah. and if it doesn't feel comfortable to you, like your body's going to say no. Yeah. That, had and you have to listen to your body. Yeah, and I've had to do so much like unlearning I, to where I feel like I feel like my best singing is getting done now. It's like how I remember what singing felt like in high school, plus just like the refinement of these teachers being like, "Yeah, now do this." But in between there, it's been like you know, listening to either wrong advice or applying good advice incorrectly gets you like so twisted up that then like the the best like the only way to like really make something happen is to like step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. Let me relax. How do I think about this? And then like I think if you're a natural singer, then you can just open your mouth and trust that the sound is going to come out. And then you apply those coach those teachable things. Right, right. More or less. Absolutely. Singing is crazy. Does it are are you still kinda like, wow, I I'm getting a paycheck for this. This is my life. All the time. <laughs> like I'll look up and you know, I'm in another country and I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I here? It's like I'm at oh, I'm at this opera house. Right. Are you always going to be an opera singer? Like what? No, like man. what was it? What was it going to be? Absolutely, uh, was wasn't something that I was thinking about until 2008. Yeah. So before, so pre that time, what was your, what was your life going to be? Honestly, um, when I went to undergrad, I was still trying to figure out how I could get back to football. <clears throat> That conditioning dies hard. Yeah, yeah. I was, so I was trying to figure that out. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I mean, obviously, always wanted to sing. I'm gonna, always gonna sing. Um, I just envisioned myself singing the anthem and pads and a uniform. <laughs> and then, you know, after the anthem, put my helmet on and, like, and then catch right, like, let's go. Catch know? like four touchdowns. Right, right. You know. Um, but I realized slowly but surely, like, nah, that's not. You got it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. what's his name? Uh, who's the punter for the? Uh, well, the Ravens. Yeah, that, Justin. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys connected yet? No, Are you not guys yet. Friends yet? Yeah, nah, I mean, all right. <laughs> I'm surprised. That needs to happen, man. He's not bad. Yeah, I've heard uh, or seen a few videos. Yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Nothing. I, I don't think that like a year in uh, the Yap can fix. Right, and that's <laughs> the thing. Like he. Could have a, a career after a career. Isn't you know? that crazy? Right. Wow. Um, and to say that he was, you know, there was a Tal Papua who's uh, was a professional NFL player who's singing now. Um, Keith Miller uh, played pro ball and he's singing now. Um, so you know, these guys. Wow, have, you know who else? I think we could add to that. Uh, I think The Rock. 
the rock yeah played i think he played yeah, he moana played, yeah, he played. Played the, and then yeah and he sings on the moana soundtrack yeah yeah, yeah. he's singing yeah absolutely man. so um, i heard something my friend just had a baby and okay. she said something in reference to parenting that i think transfers to all life she said that you can't give your child anything that you don't have yourself Right. So when you raise a girl and you, if you have low self-esteem, you can't raise a girl with self-esteem because you don't have self-esteem to impart right. on that person. Well, I mean, so when you were talking about Perlinetto, you said that he was so free in his... Yeah. Well, I, I agree with your friend uh, to a certain extent. I have a daughter. She's 16. I didn't have... Uh, but there are a lot of insecurities that I had yeah. growing up. Um, and that's something that, you know, I instill into my daughter that, you know, I, I tell her the things that I wish someone would have just told me, you know. It's not always about what other people think about you, if you're happy with yourself. And these are things that I have to, that I tell her all the time, to the point where, like, her character, you know, it's, it's almost flawless. And uh, obviously, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the father looking in, I'm just like, man, she's such a great kid, but... When others are saying the same thing that I that I think of my daughter, yeah, she's sixteen now. Um, when her teachers, people, other people that meet her, um, when they're saying the, the things that, and, and I'm not coaching them into saying yeah. those things. So you know, do you think my daughter's great? I yeah, mean, yeah, she, yeah. Oh, they're like it's such a pleasure to have your daughter here. Such you know, you know, just speak very highly of her character. Um, it just confirms that that professing to someone, even with some of the things that you did, like <clears throat> there are two things you can learn from the drunk, you know, how to be an alcoholic or how to not become an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So just because someone didn't have something or struggles with something does not mean that they can teach you the positive or, you know, to right. help, help you divert or help divert those avoid those uh, situations or those same habits. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard in a way, but if you can figure out how to give someone right. something that you didn't have. Now, yeah, like you can't love someone if you don't love yourself. Right. You know, um, but, but I, it sounds like your family really instilled a sense of confidence in you and that your uncle was saying, you know, if I can't do it, why can't? Or if yeah. this person can't do it, then why can't I? And right. it seems like right. that was something. Yeah, that, yeah. Like it, the best kind of confidence, which is that like you can do anything. That, like, right. Role. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, I, there, I, there are insecurities that I still have. Right. You know? um, part of why I'm, it takes me so long to warm up to people. You know, it's like the so, social introvert. You know, once I do warm up to you, yeah. then it's like, all right, let's go. But then I need to go home for hours <laughs> days and recharge yeah, yeah, like yeah. i need quiet like yeah. i don't want to talk to anyone anything so then as a singer the reason i'm asking this question is as a singer do you feel like you have a social duty or a musical duty to give anything back i know you're uh, so young you know no, you're no, so absolutely young. like i mean like i wouldn't be where i am if people didn't help me if right. people didn't give of their their knowledge and their um expertise of, you know, just their advice, you know, like, if that didn't happen, uh, some of the examples, uh, people didn't, you know, take the time out to give 
then I probably would not be where I am. A part of it, I do believe that I'm meant to do what I'm doing, so it would have happened some way or another, but it was that much easier to get to where I am. Right. Because of Morris. Because of Morris. Because of Morris. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, mentors and family members uh, um, that said, you know, we're going to help you, or we see something in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself yet. Right. You know, um, so that's something that I, uh, one of the reasons why I'm back here doing this holiday opera, The Lion, the Unicorn, and Me, you know, with the kids. Um, to inspire, to help inspire, and and it's not even that you come in like, okay, so how can I inspire you today? Like, yeah, I'm thinking about that sometimes, but just coming in and being myself, you know, um, and that's impo it's important to to have integrity, um, to be in tune with, you know, the people that are around you, and um, to make sure that you that you show something that, you know, hopefully they can take and help, you know, if, if they need it, help motivate themselves. The last time we did this, uh, it was five years ago, the last time we did this opera, um, and some of those kids are now in schools for, you know, for, for performing arts, um, and even if they aren't uh, performing, they are, you know, that much more focused in, you know, what they want to want to be or want to do because of the connection to, you know, doing the show together and saying, oh, well, this person takes seriously this artist. I mean, you know, he takes seriously what he's doing and he's, he's great and, and I look up to him, but also he's, he doesn't mind coming and talking to us. Right. That's something that I really appreciate about Maestro Domingo. Yeah. Um, at the level that he is and how much success he's reached in and, um, different accomplishments he still treats everyone as if they matter yeah. you know um, from the, the janitors to the you know the ushers um, security you know everyone matters um, stagehands you know everyone matters um, and that's something that you know I definitely learned from my parents growing up um, but something that you know like I, I didn't have that fame in my family to look and see for mm. that example. Okay, so I see it on this level, but what about mm. when you become a millionaire? Right. How do what you, happens, and yeah. to see that, you know, Domingo, where he is, how powerful he is in, in the art form, and how, I mean, if you ever have your own character on Sesame Street, then you know you've accomplished something, you know? That was like 30 years ago. Right, but I mean, and he's like still, he's yeah. How many like, roles has he sung at the Met? A hundred plus? Oh, like yeah. He's a yeah. hundred something roles, man. He just, they just did the 50th anniversary of yeah. his premiere, so it's yeah. like, yeah. Domingo has been performing at the He's level a hundred. <laughs> he's right. level 100. He's like a second degree level 100. Yeah. Right. He's reached level like, 100 twice. Yeah. But, you know, I think, like, what you're, what you're saying, like, that's so powerful is that, like, you know, you can be, you get to choose, like, which kind of person you want to be. Do you want to be the person who is at the top and just ignores everybody else and, like, lives in this, like, isolated right. castle? Right. Or do you want to be, like, the person who is, like, just truly, like, a, one of the one of the people and, like... You know, yeah, you're absolutely. not any better than they are because right. you earned this or X many followers right. love you. It's just like, I just happen to do this job. Right, and, and we're all know, doing this just together. happen to be the trajectory or how my life went. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we still we still should have integrity, passion, and care, and, and 
continue to treat people the way we want to be treated. Not, not to say that we aren't flawed or I'm not flawed. I know there are flaws, but, you know, it's the effort, the, the sincerity in the heart. Before we uh, wrap up here, we do got to talk about, there's one essential thing that we got to talk about that is quintessential Solomon Howard, and that is being the best dressed person in the room. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see, you walk into a room and Josh Guerrero is also there. Who is more likely to be better dressed? If I walk into a room and Josh is there, well, I mean, he's kind of like a little brother to me, so, I, well, not kind of, I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my younger brother, so I have no problem in saying this. Um, I taught him how to do it. So. <laughs> all right, what are your what are your style tips? Like, let's say, all right, let's say that you know, you and I are friends, and you see me, and I'm coming to rehearsal, but I'm wearing cargo shorts and flip flops. This is coming from a man. Just to give you a little bit of context, Michael is in the process of giving himself a makeover. Okay, so you're catching him at a really good time right yeah. now to impart the maximum amount of wisdom. All right. right. So like, let's say that you see me like I'm coming into rehearsal. And I'm, I'm singing great, I'm acting great, but I'm wearing flip-flops, I'm wearing cargo shorts, and like, I don't know, what's what's like the next worst like top that I could wear? I don't know, just something grungy. Well, I, well, the first thing with me is like, if that's what makes you comfortable, then I'm not going to judge you for it, you know? But if you do come up to me and you say, hey, how can I do a little of this? Then it's like, all right, here you go. I'll, I'll, lay, it all, I'll lay the plan out for okay. you. Give us the um, basics. But us for me, like my, I grew up around a lot of seniors, that older generation that if they were going to the, the grocery store or the market, depending on where you're from, what you call it, they had on Three-piece suit. Uh, right, three-piece <laughs> suit or hard sole shoes and, and you know, um, a nice sweater, some slacks. You know, that was that was dressed down. That was casual for my, my granddad, you know. Like, you know, jeans, denim, that, you know, we don't do that, you know. Um, that's work attire for someone. <laughs> um, so being around that, that generation, that's something that wore up on me. My father modeled. My mom was into fashion. And uh, so, you know. Like I kind of, kind of grew up in it. This is all destined for you. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's like, mom, I looked, I, you know, just realizing that. But when I was a kid, like I always had socks to match my tie, whatever, you know, whatever tie. <laughs> the fact that you had a tie. Right. The fact that I had a tie, you know. Um, but I always, I always tell, tell people, you know, that are trying to, you know, figure out a way to revamp their appearance is that you know, when we're walking down the street or say we go into a store and people are window shopping or whatever, like you see something before you actually get a chance to experience it, mm -hmm. right? So as artists in this entertainment industry, you are a product that's seen before you're heard. For the most. Like when you go to do an audition, yeah. you walk out on the stage and then you start to sing. Right. So, like, present what you feel is the best of you, yeah. uh, something that actually is married to the quality of sound, the beautiful sound that you that you produce. Yeah. You know, so I always try and present like myself, uh, you know, to the highest of my ability. And for me, I just I enjoy wearing suits. Like, yeah. it's easier for me to get dressed up than it is to to 
dressed down. Feel you know? so much better. Yeah, you know. Um, What's your favorite item of clothing? The one that you wear the most. Maybe not your favorite, but the one that you wear the most. Or the one that when you add into your. I think the add the add on is. It's usually it's either a pocket square or a lapel pin. Yeah, like the the attention to the detail. You know, of course I I'm I'm the guy that's known for hats, uh, well fitted suits. uh, Well, I mean it should be it should be redundant. You know that you say well fitted suit, but so many people I think maybe that would be the. Number one place to go, like just for starters, is like whatever you're Taylor. wearing. Uh, make sure that it's yeah, just go to ta- I mean, like I have I have friends that you know everyone has a different style or decade or period that they like to dress right. out of. Yeah. So if uh, the baggy flowing pants are are you, then be the best at that. You know, um, if fitted is you, then be the best at that. Like know where your body is, and that's you know. Like knowing your body type or what works on you, um, because quite frankly, you know, like a suit that I wear, it's not going to look the same on someone else. No, because else, you, you know? got to have. I mean, the, the the suit is like the last layer of right. of the recipe. Right. And it's like, but the the recipe is is everything about Solomon, plus then the suit yeah. is yeah. going to be like the, the suit's like the cherry on top. Right. And we could have on the same exact outfit, you know. But we both wear it differently because of our, you know the person, and that's sometimes people say that I just look so different on you. Well, when I am six five, <laughs> I'm, you know, almost two fifty now, you know, You're like you uh, are five eight, right. forty pound, like. But it's you know even even the the swag, you know, yeah. just like the body language and the confidence. But but yeah, I mean, I present I present myself how I want you know people to see me someone who cares about you know excellence on, on all, as, all aspects do you have style inspiration a uh, person or a decade or um no not really uh at, at one point it was a a guy um Bonsworth Bentley uh, he was always seen with from like, the outcast <laughs> yeah I actually got to meet him I went to grad school with his cousin and uh who was a, a great trumpeter yeah um, Chris Watkins. Um, so I got to meet his, his cousin um, at graduation at Manhattan School. And then uh, three years ago, Chris was married and uh, uh, Bonsworth officiated the wedding. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but he was always impeccably dressed. My granddad, my mom's yeah. father, you know, always. Um, it's just some of that generation. You just know. St- style. Style, man. And I love. Uh, I always loved um, like Ralph Lauren, you know, just uh, not just the clothes, but the the fact, you know, just what he stood for. Yeah, that, you know, you know, huge lifestyle. Himself. Yeah, yeah. Brand. The, what he says about his brand is is so cool. Is that he just is like, yeah, this every line or everything that I create is like an extension of a life that I wanted to live. Absolutely. So you know, when he's yeah. like, right. maybe I see myself today as like. A, Western cowboy, then he like right. creates this whole line, and, it's and like, that's the thing. Right? Maybe I see myself as like you know New Year's Eve, New York City, and then like right. creates purple wave. Absolutely. And so, have you been to the mansion in New York City? Yeah, yeah. Have you been there on Madison? Oh, it's just. Yeah. Out, I remember like when it opened up. It was like one of my first times in New York City, and I, I hit up a friend of mine, and I was like, "Listen, this is gonna be weird, but we need to go walk around this place." Yeah. And man. it's like it's a 
mansion that he bought in like 2010 or something and converted like all eight floors into like everything in his line. Yeah, that's life. That's sweet. Oh, man. Solomon, dude, this has been a real blast. Man, my pleasure. Seriously, my thank pleasure. you so much. Where can people see you in the next couple weeks? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Lion one, Unicorn and Me. Lion Unicorn and Me at the Kennedy Center. Uh, it's in the Terrace Theater. Um, so uh, you can also visit my website, SolomonHoward.com, which is uh, my first name is spelled S-O-L-O-M-A-N. Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram. What's your you Instagram know. Twitter handle? Oh, man. Uh, Solomon. <laughs> My Twitter is at how at how so music h o w s o at how so music uh, and then my Instagram is Solomon Howard s o l o m a n h o w a r d. You want to look out for the lion logo? Yeah, look out that's for that lion logo. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty cool. The All body right. of the lion, you know. All right, yeah. Solomon. Thanks, dude.